what's up? Welcome to Mix in America. I have my cousin joining me today, Kellen Axon. We uh, actually kind of look alike, uh, so we get confused for each other sometimes. Uh, that happens. True. But like me, he is also mixed. Um, we have our moms, our sisters, who so both have a black mom. Both of us have white dads. Um, so we were talking the other day, me and Kellen, um, about our experiences, some things that were similar, some things that were different. And uh, I thought it'd be a cool idea to have him on the podcast and get his perspective a little bit as well, too. Um, so first of all, Kellen, if you want to give us like a quick 20 seconds, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, thanks for having me on, Josh. Um, I think the the running joke is that only one of us needs to show up to any of the family holidays. So yeah. we should just like stagger our times. Um, yep. uh, given that not even our own family doesn't always know how to tell us apart. Um, but uh, no, so um, as Josh mentioned, um, uh, we're cousins. Uh, I'm also mixed. Um, and um, I, I grew up in Illinois, so while Josh is passionate about Minnesota sports teams, I'm passionate about Chicago sports teams. That's really the main difference between the two yes. of us. Um, uh, since, since then, I've actually moved back up to Minnesota, so we're a lot closer now um, geographically, and um, I work for Target in their uh, marketing department. I appreciate you growing up near Chicago because I feel like the 90s Bulls means more to me because of you and because we went to Chicago. And I know everybody that grew up in the 90s loved the Bulls and everybody loved Michael Jordan and all that stuff. But I feel like I got a little more like claim to them. I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I was always there. My cousin was there. So I feel like I claim a little bit more of the, those 90s Chicago Bulls, especially since the Timberwolves were really bad in the 90s. Not that they're any better now, but uh, I, I definitely enjoy cheering for the Bulls. And I like having that excuse. Yeah, and I, I have you to thank because when I did make the move back up to Minnesota, um, my transition was easier because, um, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of people who were already Minnesota sports fans. There's a lot of um, the terribleness of Minnesota sports echoes a lot of the terribleness of like uh, the Cubs that I had growing up with in the 90s. So it was kind of like, hey, you know, we're kind of uh, and we can all agree to hate the Packers. So yeah, was, no, it, that, that was nice because we we do <laughs> argue about Vikings and Bears, but we all hate the Packers. So all right, so let's let's get on let's get on topic a little bit. We did grow up with similar experiences. I think racially, I think because our moms are sisters, so we literally grew up in the same family. I talked to people about how diverse our family was. We have you know black cousins, white cousins, every shade in between, right? All of us. So we did grow up similar, but I just maybe your perspective, because I don't think we usually talked about this a whole lot um, growing up, but like, what was your perspective on race, on, um, you know, your mom being black, your dad being white? Um, what, what do you think of, I guess, the household or the family that you grew up in? I, I have to confess, I, I'm a uh, listener since episode one here. So <laughs> I, I think uh, I would encourage anyone who's following along here to maybe even if they haven't checked out some of those episodes, check those out because, um, I would echo a lot of the same sort of things that you had growing up. I think listening along, I was like, oh my goodness, yes, that's exactly what it was like. And I feel like you did a really good job articulating some of that in, in ways that I maybe hadn't even put together in my own head. But I think, um, I think the best example is, is the one where um, you're mentioning like uh, the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, right? Like um, 
uh, on Christmas Eve, Santa was black and on Christmas day, Santa was white. And that was my experience for sure as well. I think that was, it was sort of like my childhood encapsulated in a nutshell every yeah. year, right? Where being biracial, you, you, you um, are forced to see um, different cultures and understand the rules of different cultures as you move back and forth yeah. between those different cultures. And sometimes within the span of just a few hours, right? Where, um, yeah. you know, like I, I appreciate all of the aspects of um, that I got from both of my parents, but like on um, Christmas Eve, there was no set time. There was no schedule. <laughs> people came and they went and people who we didn't know came and like, yeah. it was the more the merrier and everyone was somehow talking at once and no one was listening and everyone was talking and it was, people were fighting and then making up. It was great. And I love that. And then on Christmas day, you know, like everything's punctual. Everything happens on time. There's one conversation across the whole family that like ebbs and flows. And, um, and that was great too. Like, so I think that was, um, uh, my experience was really about kind of learning to navigate those two cultures um, and just enjoying both and like the, um, the unique aspects of, of each. Yeah, I think that's, I think it is a cool, like we got a peek into different worlds where, and I, I'm learning this more and more because that our upbringing was different that not everybody grew up like that. Like that's what we know, so that seems normal. Um, but I just think about like when Jocelyn first came to a family Christmas and it was like chaos and she, she didn't expect this, didn't know what was really going on. And it was, it was just so different for her. You're also married to a white girl. Like what do you, or even just in other conversations with white people, have you found the same thing where your upbringing was more different than maybe you thought it was? Yeah, I think what I've maybe noticed is that, um, I think for my wife, Emily, I think for other uh, white people that I know, like, I think there's the ability that you could go through life and think, like, uh, think that you might not even have a culture or like, this is just the like neutral. Other people might have race and yeah. ethnicity, but like, I'm just nothing or normal or like, like white is neutral. But I think growing up, um, you know, uh, mixed, it, you're, you, you see the differences as you move through cultures. And I feel like um, that was one of the things that I've, it, it's a skill that has served me well, I think is it, it sort of makes you adaptable. It makes you being yeah. able to um, sort of, um, I think I'm more attuned to like the spaces that I enter because of sort of that practice that I had growing up. Um, yeah. We can talk a little bit about like what that means for like identity and how do you figure some of that out? Cause that's uh, kind of the flip side of that struggle, but for sure. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to that a little bit because we talked about that the last time we talked. When we had a conversation the other day, identity obviously was a big thing. And we talked about, um, you went to high school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Sioux Falls Christian, right? And you said your experience of being black enough. What was that like for you growing up? Yeah, I think um, this is another one of those things where I think you you put it really well, which is that moment when you go from realizing, like from being both black and white to being only half black. Um, that was definitely um, something that I felt, especially throughout like my high school and then even into college years of just like, you know, I, I, I wasn't like, um, I, I got really caught up into like, what does it mean? Like, um, what does it mean to like be black? 
um, like, yeah. and can I, can I claim that for myself or not? Um, uh, and I, I felt like that nervous pressure, even, I, I guess I think even back into elementary school when you're filling out a form, right. And they're like, pick a, pick a race. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I, I like, I start sweating. Like, I'm like, I, like, it's not, none of this, this doesn't reflect me. Like, this doesn't reflect thing. who I am. Yeah. Um, and so like, I think that throughout my whole life, I've just been sort of trying to figure out like, uh, you know, how do I like, I mean, you, you get the, what are you all the time? How do I, yeah. um, and I think that's a question that I was even asking myself throughout like my life is like, what, what am I, you know, like I, I'm not white, I'm not black, I'm biracial, but like, I'm, I don't know. And in high school, I think, um, once I transferred back to Aurora Christian, um, there are a few people who, um, who like it, it was just offhand comments thing like oh you're not really black right like you don't listen to rap music you're not really black or like you know hey I saw you out on the basketball court you're you're not really black right? it's like well I don't think that's those are like the the criteria of like yeah. being black right like <laughs> but but somehow some of those things just kind of stick with you like it, yeah, it's like sure. things that they threw out offhand really kind of burrowed their way into me and sort of messed me up a little bit in regards to that for a long time where I would meet people and I, I'd feel like I almost have to like be like, uh, you know, I, I'm half black or like I have to like justify like what I look like to try and like, I don't know, um, tell people, you know, who I am or, or, or where I'm coming from. Um, and that was something that I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of working through, right? Like I, I'm still, um, I think um, one of the examples that I, I like to talk about is I've been, I've been at Target for 10 years and we have a really great resource group um, called the uh, African American Business Council. And I've been really, really heavily involved in this group for the last you know, five or six years, but I spent four, four to five years just kind of being scared and nervous of like, am I black enough to join this group? And that's not even a requirement. Like we have tons of white people who help out about these <laughs> with, with these efforts and these initiatives. And, um, but I, I like, for whatever reason, like some of those comments from a few guys in high school were like still sticking with me yeah. a decade later uh, into my career. Yeah. I mean, that's that one of the reasons I, the main reason I started this, this podcast was because I found myself having a lot of thoughts on, on racism, on all this stuff going on, but, but always being kind of too timid to share it. Or when I do share it, I like specify, like I'll tell people like, I know I'm not that black, but I do have these thoughts and feelings about the black community kind of thing. Or like, I'm not mm -hmm. that black, but you know, maybe it's what I, so like, I, I do I do that justifying like a lot. And I know ours differ because like you talked about, you didn't listen to rap music or you didn't. And so I'm like, that's not what makes you black. But like for me in my head, I'm always like, okay, am I dark enough to justify that I have subs in my car? Or like, am I going to get, because I've heard comments before about like acting a certain way or dressing a certain way and people thinking that I'm trying to be black, you know, quote unquote, like, I'm like, but I am black. So then I have to justify for you is kind of the opposite where you kind of like had to, I don't know. What was that like? Like you were, did people just not question or you had to tell people or? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think, yeah, like to your point, it's, um, it's a little bit sort of reversed, but also just, um, I think I'm one of those people who maybe cares too much about what other people are thinking or like what, what's going on in their mind. And, 
um, that's something that I'm, I'm trying to be like, look, I am who I am. And I, I don't like, if you, if you don't get it, or if you're going to think something like make a bad judgment, that's not on me. I'm, I'm just living my life and this is who I am. And that's where I'm trying to get to. But I think still in some part of my head, I'm like, Oh, I don't want them to think that I'm thinking this or that yeah. I'm uh, a white guy who's pretending to, or like a, a tan guy who's trying like, and <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly like, or I, I've been constantly like running through, like trying to, Oh, I, I feel like I need to clarify this so that someone doesn't get the wrong impression. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that I, what I'm working on is trying to be like, okay, I, I don't know that I need to care about if they get the wrong impression. Yeah. No, and I'm laughing because I, that's exactly what goes on in my head. Like I'm someone <laughs> that overthinks things and I overanalyze like what somebody might be thinking, whatever. And so that's where kind of some of my issues might be like, I might think somebody thinks I'm not black enough to listen to certain music or dress a certain way or whatever. And it's like, first of all, they're probably not even thinking that. But second of all, like, I, why do I care? Like, and that's one thing that I took away from, from our conversation we had a couple weeks ago was like, I am who I am and I don't really care what people think. If I want to identify as, as black, even though I'm only half black, I keep doing air quotes, but this will probably be an audio podcast. So I need to stop doing that. But, but I need to get to that point where I don't care. And one of the things we talked about, again, when we talked a couple weeks ago was maybe you're not all the way there, but you're trying to like not care. So tell me what the, that committee at Target has done for you. Like, did you get accepted even though you're not, quote, that black? And you, know, you were featured uh, just this last February in their Black History campaign, whatever that was. You talked about wearing, you know, Black Lives Matter shirts. Or in that shoot, you're wearing a I Am Black History shirt. Um, stuff like that. How have you, I guess, embraced your blackness now that you're older, if that's an okay way to put it? <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's been sort of like to me that was sort of like the culmination of a, a journey that I've been on over the last few years at Target where to be able to go in like in Target's marketing material and and be rocking a shirt that's like I am black history. To me that was very symbolic of the journey that I've taken where it's look, I I want to embrace all of who I am. And to me I am really, really proud of our legacy. And you've talked about our, like our grandpa, our grandma, they have done amazing things for the Minnesota community. Um, we come from a really proud line of, of black people who have done amazing things. And so I'm really proud of that part of me. And that's not something that like, I'm going to care if someone's like, Hmm, seems like uh, this guy's a little lighter skinned to be <laughs> saying that he's black history. It could, is that a white person who's saying that they're black? Like, yeah. and I'm like, look, if you want to misjudge that, that's fine. But this is, this is where I'm coming from and I'm going to embrace who I am. So I think that was definitely like, it's sort of been the culmination of a journey for me in coming. Like when I did finally join the AABC, like that was something that I was kind of like, so I uh, just, uh, it was sort of like, like the first time they introduced me, they're like, you know, this is Kellen. And I'm like, I'm half black. Like I, yeah. I wanted to like, <laughs> they're like right away. And they're like, yes. one, we don't care. And two, like, welcome brother. Like, come on, let's, let's do some, do some work together. And, um, that group has been so, um, supportive, especially during like these times, it's been great to be able to connect with other people who are feeling similar things, who have some of those same sort of thoughts about like, you know, what's it like when, um, you know, you're the only black person that people know who are reaching out and texting you and being like, Hey, 
sorry if I said something racist five years ago. And you're like, huh? Do you not know any other black people that you're texting me? Uh, so I don't know. The, the, <laughs> I'm going oh. way off topic now. But no, like, can you tell I, that story? Because really I forgot about that. That was a good, can you tell that story? Because I, I think that's a good story. I think people need to hear that because I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of white people right now that don't know what to do. Because they're, they're, especially in Minneapolis and the Twin Cities where racial tensions have always, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say how bad or how not bad it is or whatever, but it's, it's at least not talked about. It's at least not really on the forefront of your brain, right? Maybe some cities, you know, Southern cities we think of where that maybe is talked about more or maybe thought about more, addressed more. But in Minnesota, white people have had it, it's going to sound, have had it pretty good. Like they haven't really had to deal with that, especially in the, in the white suburbs of the Twin Cities. Um, but they're thinking about it more than ever. And I, and I really, think they're nervous and don't know what to do. And I'm generalizing all white people, but tell that, <laughs> tell me that story that you told me about yeah. that random person that texted you that was like, you're the blackest one yeah. or what? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was shortly after the murder of George Floyd and, uh, you know, I think everyone's going through a lot. And to your point, I think um, a lot of people were rethinking their views on, on race and what, what, you know, how have they contributed to this to this issue and um, out of the blue a few days later I get a text from someone who I haven't talked to since high school so uh, I'm 34 now so it's been a minute since I was <laughs> you know in, <laughs> in high school and um, just basically was like hey I just wanted to like reach out and like if I ever said anything or did anything that made you feel like uncomfortable like I'm really sorry I, I've been working on like this and they kind of like talked about like some of the things that they've been educating themselves on and I was like wow um like great good good for you but i i really didn't know how to how to react and uh, like i mean they weren't the only person who reached out but my my first thought was just like have you not met another black person in like the time from high since, school, from high, from, since high school but yeah it was uh I, I think it was great having the um the members of the abc who can to i can kind of share some of those stories with and commiserate with like yeah you know here's some of the things and that's kind of a lighthearted thing um not like the, the most serious of, of the things that are going on but yeah um, and obviously there's been more serious discussions as well yeah um i want to ask you about working in corporate america what is that like being we can talk about being black but also being half black is there a challenge with that or yeah i think um i will say um so in working for target um I've been pretty proud of a lot of the ways that Target has handled uh, some of the recent situations and um, some of the ways that they've been handling a lot of this. So um, that's been pretty nice. But I think we also, a part of that is also Target recognizing where they're falling short. And Target's been pretty upfront, at least internally, with like, okay, here's some of these gaps that we have. Um, and I think when you look at corporate America, um, the fact of the matter is that people hire people like themselves. And so, you know, we have hunt, like years upon years of um, white males in leadership and we still have a lot of white males in leadership. And that's, that's not just target. That's just like, you're, you're like corporate America in general. And so um, I think that's one of the things that I feel kind of lucky is that within my job, I get to like I have the freedom to kind of follow some of my passions and work towards changing some of that where um, Target's been really supportive about like, Hey, we acknowledge this is a problem and 
like we're open to suggestions on how we can start to fix that. And um, I think we, you can kind of think about that in two ways um, around like recruitment and retention, right? Where um, if you just bring in some like diverse candidates into a otherwise homogenous situation, why would they stay? And so there's, it's like, it's like a whole culture change. How do we change the culture? How do we change, make it so that we can um, go to new places to recruit people other than just like what the population of suburban Minnesota looks like. So I think there's a, there's a lot of things that we're trying to do to shift some of that. But I think um, at the very least, I think a lot of recent events have gotten people talking on, and identifying the issues. So we can at least be like, Hey, it's not right that like the, upper levels of leadership doesn't look like the population as a whole, whether that's target, whether that's anywhere in corporate America, we need to take steps to start to actively fight against some of those implicit biases. Cause I don't think anyone's like actively saying we don't want to hire diverse people. It's more just like if, if your network looks like you, then yeah. when you are looking for someone for a job, you're going to hire someone who looks like you and you're not being like hateful about it, but you're just you're not seeing the bias that you have in your own thing. And so I think when you're talking about things like empathy and getting to know other people who look different than you, I think that's something that everyone should do. Diversify your network, diversify the people that you hang out with because you're, it's, it's going to broaden your horizons and you're going to get more out of that anyway. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's good. Um, I should have been taking notes. That was, I'll have to look back. That was some good stuff though. Real quick. Um, I want you to just solve racism in America real quick. So, um, I, no, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of, Come on. You, had, you had mentioned that we don't necessarily agree on everything, um, but that's why we're having these discussions. So maybe there's something you, you disagree with me and you want to yell at me right now, go for that. Um, but, but take some time and like, is there any thought on, in your head right now, anything that you're like, man, not that all the you know, millions of people that listen to my podcast are going to hear, but like, what are some things that you want to get off your chest that you want to be like, this is what people need to hear? Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a big, big question. I think um, if we're talking about things that you and I disagree with, um, I would probably go back to your episode on um, white privilege. And I would say that I agree with most of the things that you said um, in terms of, um, I think we need to acknowledge as a country that the systems that are in place um, were not built by us or for us. And that when these systems were designed, I think you used the example of like right-handed versus left-handed. Like if you design things right-handed, you, you don't even necessarily think about it, but like now things are slanted in the favor of, of people who are right-handed. And the same is true, I think, for a lot of the systems that are in place. And so to me, when I think about uh, uh, white privilege, I don't think as much about like individual privilege, right? Because like certainly there's every individual is a collection of a whole bunch of different privileges, right? Like yeah. there's male privilege. There's like, there's a whole bunch of different like sort of slants that can create what one person's sort of like starting places. But I think we have to acknowledge that like um, the systems that are in place in America, whether that's the, uh, you know, housing systems of like redlining in the past or whether that's, uh, the criminal justice system or whether that's, uh, you know, corporate America and like leadership positions and, and, and hiring practices. I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of this wasn't built uh, by us or for us. And I, I think at least if we can start from like, hey, there's a problem, um, then we can start having really meaningful debates on what the solution is. But I think if we can all agree that like some of these systems are broken um, or not working for everyone. Yeah. 
um, since you just solved racism in, in the la in that last like two minutes, whatever, <laughs> um, is there anything, you know, for people that are saying, I agree with you now, what can I, or maybe they just found out about racism because of George Floyd or whatever. Oh, I didn't realize there was an issue, but they want to do something now. Is it, is it educating themselves? Is it, um, you know, having influence in their own little sphere of influence or what would you say for people to do? Like what, what can we do about this? If we agree there's a problem, now what, what do we do? That's, that's a great question, Josh. And honestly, um, the first two weeks after George Floyd's death, that was like, I, I honestly, after, after watching that video, I honestly felt hopeless and helpless. Like this is such a big thing. I think the thing that got me was like, there's probably someone who's thinking, who's watching this video thinking, I hope that's not, me i hope that's not my son or whatever that is and you know it's it just seems like it's going to happen again and again and again and it, one of the times it's going to be someone that you lo love you know like um and that's where kind of it, it hit me and i was just like how uh and but I, i'm the kind of person who like i i have to channel some of that emotion into like tangible things like i i feel like i have to do something um and so it I don't know. I, for me, that has meant taking sort of the influence that I have to try and move things forward where I work, where I have influence there, where I can, I can um, help by, you know, uh, changing some of the culture at our, uh, within my company and, and within my uh, recruiting and re retention practices. Those are, are things that I've been able to help do. Um, I think for anyone, like education is a great first step. Um, I think there are tons of resources, like there are great documentaries. Um, I've watched a few recently. Emily and I have sat down and watched a couple of those, um, some great books, reading lists that are really available to just kind of open your eyes to understanding the problem. Um, I think in your last episode, you talked a lot about empathy and just getting to know people who are different than you. Honestly, I think like at a grassroots level, that is a great way to start to break down some of the walls. Like unless you're, you're getting exposed to people of different cultures. And I'm talking about that for me too, like um, coming from, you know, being biracial, um, white and black, uh, just within our family, we've got lots of people <laughs> across the, the, that spectrum there. But, you know, do I have an, enough friends with op opinions that are different than me on other things or uh, who don't look like me, who come from other cultures that I can learn more about, right? I think that only broadens your horizons and it's not like just like befriend befriend a black person but it's like um you know just put yourself in positions where you're a little bit uncomfortable because guess what if you're a minority you're on you're going into situations that you're uncomfortable all the time so it's like yeah. kind of the least you can do is to put yourself in some uncomfortable <laughs> do it for like five minutes yeah <laughs> right right all right um yeah. and, and then from there i think like um follow your passions so like as i think as you go through that education process there are going to be things that stick out to you as like this is wrong and I want to yeah. be able to do something. And then there's a ton of great organizations that are dedicated already to addressing some of those. And you can kind of volunteer time, money, whatever you can give to say, okay, this is something that I care about because I've seen it. Um, because now I'm like, I know someone who this is affecting and, and this is matters to them. And um, I think that that spurs some of that passion that then I think can start to change things. Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. And I want to thank all of you guys that have been listening uh, to this episode and those that have listened to other ones before. Really appreciate it. Uh, next week, I'm going to talk about Colin Kaepernick and the NFL and kneeling. Now that sports are back, kneeling during the anthem is a big, uh, 
conversation topic again, maybe bigger than it's ever been. So I want to address that. So if you want to hear what I got to say about that topic, then join me next Monday for episode 11 of Mixed in America. Thank you.